Great to have you here as we're continuing our thematic series today, looking at Romans 1, verses 16 to 17, and this incredible statement that the Apostle Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And in this third talk in this series, we're going to focus in on that word salvation and think, what does it mean? And why is uh, the message, the Christian message of salvation, such good news for us today? That could be of someone here looking into Christian things. It's great to have you with us. You might be thinking, you know, what do I need to be saved for? Uh, I'm feeling pretty all right. Thank you very much. Why is a message of salvation good news for me? Um, for many of us here, we, we will be Christian, but it's amazing how quickly we can forget just how precious and how wonderful our salvation in Jesus Christ is. And so some of us are lacking assurance of God's love. Um, some of us are, are still striving for approval and acceptance from God. Now, some of us wonder if, like, really deep down, you know, God, that, does God really love me? And is he perhaps disappointed with me? Because I know I keep on sinning. How can I be sure that everything is all right between me and God? Some of us are unsure what difference Jesus makes to the here and now. We do know we're forgiven. We know we're going to see Jesus when we die. But what about the nitty-gritty, the life here and now? Or is Jesus really you know, just a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card at the end of life to get me into heaven? Many of us are feeling pretty fed up with everything that's happened these past 16 months. We're hurting, we're grieving, we're, we're anxious possibly about what's going to work July 19th with the cases coming up, the double vaccinations. Can I, are we really sure about the future? And if God is real, what is he really doing about it? All these questions, all these doubts, these all relate to this topic of salvation. And God wants to reassure us this morning, wherever you're coming from, to see how glorious and all-encompassing salvation is. So we're not ashamed of it, so we rejoice in it, so we share it with others. Now, this topic of salvation is a huge topic, right? We could come at it from many different angles. We could come at it from a sort of Trinitarian point of view. Look at God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, each of their roles in salvation. We could come at it from a Christological point of view, Jesus and his, his work as prophet, priest, and king. But what we're going to do, we're going to go with the flow of Romans. That's the book we're in. I'm going to look at justification, sanctification, glorification, throwing all these theological words at you. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. The past, present, and future of salvation. Okay, that's where we're going. First up, then God justifies us. We have been saved. Take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. If you've got a Bible there, or if you've got it on your phone, just have that up as we're going through this. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, given everything we've been seeing in chapters 1 to 4, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this gets us right to the heart of the gospel and the foundation of our salvation. That through faith in Jesus Christ, through trust in him, his work for us. Every Christian believer is now justified. That is declared righteous in the sight of God. Not made righteous, viewed, declared as righteous. 
Eleven times in the previous chapter, chapter four, the Apostle Paul uses this Greek word, legitimai, it means imputed, credited, reckoned, accounted. So chapter four, verse three, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Even though Abraham at the time was very unrighteous and a sinner and morally flawed, the moment he believes in God, suddenly he is viewed as righteous, as morally without flaws. He is justified through faith. Now, why is this such good news for us today? Aren't we all trying to justify ourselves through life to ourselves, to others, perhaps to God himself. In the film Rocky, the first one with Sylvester Stallone, Rocky's girlfriend, Adrienne, asks him, why is it so important for him to go the distance in the boxing match? And Rocky replies, if I can go that distance and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood which is a pretty American way of put it, but listen to Prince Charles. In an interview with Esquire magazine a few years ago, summed up the thoughts of many when he said, what I've done in my life is a mere pinprick, but at least it's something. All the time, I feel I must justify my existence. Now, I don't know if you feel this constant need to prove yourself. Each day, all the time. Now, am I worthy? Am I okay? Am I, am I right? It is such a heavy burden to carry. The moral philosopher Eric Hoffer describes this as slavery. He says the individual who has to justify his existence by his own efforts or her own efforts is in eternal bondage to themselves. I don't know if you feel something of that slavery. That constant day in, day out. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? What do people think of me? All the time trying to justify your existence. And if that is you, can I say, please let the gospel set you free. You have been justified. Not through your works. Your good works as if they could ever be. Through faith. Through faith in who? Jesus Christ. He has done it all for you. How wonderful exchange takes place the moment anyone puts their faith in Jesus Christ. All their sin, all their moral flaws, their failures get credited to Jesus. It's not that Jesus sinned, he lived a perfect life. But it was as if he sinned, as our sin is credited to him. And he bears the consequences of it. But not just that. Christ's perfect life gets credited to us. Even though we're far from perfect and we keep on going on sinning, it is as if we have never sinned, as his perfection becomes ours. And we're justified, we are viewed as righteous in the sight of God. When Harry Kane scored that penalty for England against Denmark in the semi-final, it was as if, well if you're English, that we had all scored. Right? We hadn't, we were watching it. Harry was on the pitch, he put the, the ball in the goal, but my goodness, it was credited to the whole team, it was credited to all of England. And in a far greater, far more important way, Jesus Christ's perfect life, his moral purity and righteousness is credited to every Christian believer. 
And so the moment you believe, no matter how you're feeling about yourself and your sin, God views you, declares you righteous in his sight. He sees you now as he sees Jesus. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love. With them I am well pleased. You are completely justified, accepted, approved of by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You never need to prove yourself to God again. It is liberating. It is wonderful. It is such good news. It means, verse 1, we can stop all are striving for approval and acceptance from God. Since we have been justified through faith, first one, we have peace with God. Peace. No <laughs> striving. Our relationship with Him is absolutely secure. Whenever you find yourself thinking, I'm being good enough for God, or I've had a bad day, oh, I've sinned, you're trying to justify yourself for your good performance, you can say, What am I doing? Why am I doing this when I'm already completely, perfectly justified through what Jesus Christ has done? Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Please, Spirit, reassure me of this reality about me. Justified through faith. It also means, verse 8, we can be absolutely sure of God's love no matter how we feel about ourselves. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can often think of God, and he's all angry up there, angry at sin. God the Father. And then here's Jesus, old loving Jesus, and he becomes a shield, you know, between us and God the Father. But really, if that's the case, isn't the Father still angry with us as I'm going through my life? No, that's not how it works. God is love. Not God is anger. God is love. And God demonstrates his own love for us by sending Jesus to die for us. So yes, God is angry at sin. Because his, his love is a holy love, a perfect love, a love that burns against all the sin and evil and wrongness in this world, but he's going to deal with it, and he has dealt with it in himself. And so God's love is always over us. If we're trusting in Jesus Christ, his smile always radiating towards you. You need never doubt his love for you again. This also means, verse 9, we have nothing to fear from judgment day. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, that's Jesus' death on our behalf, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Christ is both our punishment and our perfection. We tend to focus just on the first. Jesus died for me. He did. It's wonderful. But we need to remember the second. Jesus lived for us too. Such that his perfect righteousness is our perfect righteousness. It is credited to us. Simul justus et peccata. That's the Latin, as Martin Luther once famously put it. At the same time, sinner yet righteous. And so God views you now. He really does as if you had never sinned. Even though you keep on sinning, he delights in you. He approves of you. Nothing can separate you from his love. You are justified through faith. This is part of what makes the gospel such good news. 
This peace with God that transcends understanding. It makes you a more secure person. It makes you more humble before others. It is such good news. And this is just justification. This is a one part of the three. This is just the past aspect of salvation. Let's move on to the second part, the present salvation. God sanctifies us. We are being saved every day in the present. Have a look at verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I saw a headline this week that said, Anxious Britons buy three million self-help books in a year as sales rise 20%. And that was back in 2019, before the pandemic. So I wonder how many more of these books have been uh, bought since then. Perhaps you've been reading them and buying them yourself. It seems that self-improvement, personal change, is one of the fastest-growing genres in the publishing world at the moment. People want to know how to be better parents, how to be more productive at work, how to not be ruled by anxiety how to form better habits, but real, lasting change is notoriously difficult to come by. Listen to these words um, from one of the leading social scientists in the States, David Maxwell. He says, personal change is difficult and rare, and he gives three examples. Dieters in the US spend $40 billion a year but 19 out of 20 of those dieters lose nothing but their money. Gives a second example. Two years after coronary bypass surgery to save their lives, 90% of patients are back to their old behaviors that put them in that surgery in the first place. And then a personal favorite of his, he says, two out of three people can't even get themselves to floss. And so he concludes, is it no wonder then that many of us admit defeat, give up, and stop trying? Did you see who has been given to every Christian believer in verse 3? The Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit, you know who that is, right? That is a third person of the Trinity. That is God himself at work in us. If anyone can get us and help us to change, it is him. What is his name? Holy Spirit. Guess what he wants to do in people's lives? Make them more holy which is not some like holier-than-thou attitude but makes them more loving and more gentle, more persevering and less self-reliant and more focused on others, more like Jesus Christ, the most beautiful, compelling person to ever walk this planet. Who would not want to become more like Jesus? And that is what the Holy Spirit is all about. Real, lasting change is possible with him. So, not only does God justify us, which is something that happens outside of us, as God declares us righteous, but also God sanctifies us, which is something that happens inside of us, through the Holy Spirit, and we are increasingly every day made more and more righteous and more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, if you focus exclusively on justification, which some Christians are tempted to do, you may think, what's the point of me living, a, you know, doing anything different in the Christian life? I'll just carry on as normal. I mean, God declares me righteous anyway. What's the point? If you focus exclusively on sanctification, though, you might be thinking, have I done enough? 
and God does really love me, am, am I okay? And so we must keep justification and sanctification together. Declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, made, made more righteous each day through the Holy Spirit. Both and. And that will bring assurance and that will bring commitment to change. Notice verse 3, where this change takes place. And because it's not out there in our circumstances or in our sufferings. The change takes place in here. Our character, our perseverance. God wants us to change first before anyone or anything else. Think of some of the things we often pray for. Please, God, um, find me a better paying job. Please, God, would you get rid of that difficult colleague? Uh, please, God, would you help the children to obey me? Please, God, could I have some more sleep? Now, I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with those prayers, but look, where is the focus in each of those prayers? It's not in here, right? It's out there. It's on, can they change? Please, God. Can my circumstances change? Please, God. But in verse 3, Paul, did you notice, glories in his sufferings. I mean, that's an incredible. I mean, you've ever gloried in your sufferings. He glories in his sufferings. Why? Because he knows that this is one of the main ways that God produces perseverance and character and brings personal change into our lives. In his book, How Does Sanctification Work? David Pallinson writes this. The difficulties that we experience necessitate grace by awakening a true sense of weakness and need. This is where the Spirit is working. People often change because something is hard, not because everything goes well. Something, including myself, is off. Ministry, that's Christian ministry, traffics in trouble because Christ enters trouble, lives through trouble, is unafraid of trouble, speaks and acts into trouble. Struggles force us to need God. And we learn to love the way Christ loves only by experiencing the hard things that he experienced in loving us. Now look, that was a long quote, but do you hear what he's saying? He's saying real, lasting, personal change is possible in the Christian life. It just comes about often not in the way that we would expect or we would want. But if we really have this dynamic, if we really have this perspective, you know what that means? That means whatever is happening in our, what's ever happening in your life right now, and no matter difficult and no matter how tough it is, it means God is in it and his spirit is at work in you and he is up to something good even if you can't see it right now yourself. Even our sufferings, we tend to think if we're suffering, God's got it in for us or he doesn't care for us. Paul is saying you can glory in your sufferings insofar as God is growing you to be more like Jesus and less self-reliant and more dependent on him and more Christ-like in your thoughts and your attitudes and in your behavior. 
Now look, we need to be patient with this aspect of our salvation, the fact that each day we are being saved. I know we'd love probably for the Spirit just to eradicate all of our selfishness and all of our envy and all of our pride, just like that. Lord, I've got a bit of an anger problem at the moment. Please, we just get rid of it. Boom, bang. It does not work like that. It's often a gradual change, often over many years, as God chips away at our idols, as he peels away another layer of our sin, their steps forwards, their step back, their ups, their downs, but each day, with the Spirit in you, you can be absolutely confident that you are being increasingly set free from the power of sin and becoming more and more the person God always intended us to be. We'll never be completely free, from this struggle, this fight, the presence of sin in our life, not even close. The Baptist minister Charles Spurgeon famously once said, I met only one perfect person, and they were a perfect nuisance. But real, gradual change is possible through the Holy Spirit as we seek his help, as we take hold of the promises of Scripture, as we spur one another on to live lives of godliness. So please don't for one moment ever think that Jesus is just like some get-out-of-jail-free card for heaven at the end of your life. He is committed to bring change in your friendships, your families, this church family, the whole of society. But it has got to start with each and every one of us and our personal responsibility to keep in step with the Spirit and let Him change us through all the circumstances of life, good and bad. That's the second aspect of our salvation. God sanctifies us. Which leaves us, thirdly and finally, looking to the future. God will glorify us. We will be saved. Verse 2 speaks of the hope of the glory of God. And if you flick forward either in your Bible or on your phone to chapter 8 of Romans, listen to these verses, verses 22 and 23. Chapter 8, verses 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, you'll have picked up there, there's a lot of groaning going on in these verses, um, in these two verses, and perhaps there's been a lot of groaning going on in your life these past 16 months. We have lost so much through this pandemic. We have lost friends, loved ones. We have lost jobs. We have lost our mental health. We have lost time together with friends. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, will we ever get it back and will things ever return to normal? The American author, Andrew Devanko, in his book, The Real American Dream, describes how critical hope is to making sense of life. I think Pete may have used this quote before, but it's so pertinent, I'm going to use it again here. The heart of any culture is hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. We must imagine some end to life that transcends our own allotment of days and hours if we are to keep at bay the dim back of the mind suspicion that one may be adrift in an absurd world. 
How desperately you and I need hope. Hope to get through life. Hope to see there is light despite all the darkness. Hope to fill the holes of our groaning hearts. And friends, do you see how the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, he gives us that hope. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And so sin is paid for. And death is defeated. And evil will not have the last word because Jesus has the last word. And so we're not adrift in an absurd world. A happy ending is coming. And good will triumph over evil. And all wrongs will be put to right. And we will see Jesus. And there will be the redemption of our bodies. Thank you. And the renewal of the whole creation. This is the Christian hope. And so Paul says, look, I'll wait for it eagerly, even as you groan inwardly. Don't place your hope on July 19th and no more masks and no more social distancing and double vaccinations. There'll still be plenty to groan about in our own hearts and in the world around us. Don't place your hope on the English football team this evening. I really hope they win. It's going to bring such joy to the nation. That joy won't last. There is only one person who can bring everlasting joy. And that is a person who has saved us, is saving us, will save us, and will bring in the renewal of all things. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to him, put your faith in him. He's the savior we all need. He is such good news. And if you have done that, if you're trusting in Jesus, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Rejoice in it. Live for it. Grow in it. Share it with as many people as you can. It's going to transform the whole universe. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much indeed for the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the salvation that is ours in him. Thank you that you justify us through faith in him, not our works. And so we can be absolutely sure of your love, your approval, your acceptance. Thank you that you give us your spirit, that each day you are saving us, you are making us more and more righteous, more and more like Jesus Christ. And thank you that one day Jesus will return and we'll see him face to face. And no more we'll be fighting sin. We'll have the redemption of our bodies. We'll have the renewal of this whole creation. There will be a happily ever after. Please would you reassure each and every one of us of this reality, of this truth about the universe, about you. And please help us to live our lives this week for the gospel, for you, and sharing it with others. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.